Hello, my name is Ron Brown. I'm the Associate Director of Global Health Outreach and have served there since 1999. As a part of our launching the Let's Go GHO podcast, it's exciting to have our three GHO directors here in the studio and to hear them tell the story of the last 20 years of Global Health Outreach. So I invite you to join me as we say, let's go, GHO. Well, it's a really special privilege for me to be a part of a gathering today that includes the first director of Global Health Outreach, Dr. Sam Malin. And uh, we're going to have a little time of sharing about how GHO got off the ground. And then uh, it's not only special because Sam's here today, but our second director, Dr. Don Thompson, is also uh, with us today. And then to make it just very special, our current director, Dr. Patricia Trish Burgess, is here. And today we're going to learn a little bit about uh, how God began GHO. So I'd like to ask you today, Dr. Sam Malin, I think I can call you Sam after 20 years, <laughs> how was it that you came to be the GHO first director, and what was it like back then getting started, which was in 1998 when you moved here, but I know things had started actually a couple of years before that. Take us back to uh, 1996, 1997, 1998, and getting GHO started. Well, thanks for that opportunity, uh Life has its strange uh, ways of moving around while we're living it. Mm. And uh, the changes are often more than we can handle. But uh, I was uh, living in Vermont as a professor of surgery at the University of Vermont and had a private practice. And Dorothy and I had been part of starting a crisis pregnancy center there and we had a health and wellness clinic for the uninsured and the and the underinsured, and we also had a Good Samaritan Haven for the homeless. So we were, one might say, invested in Vermont and in my practice and the area, and I was loving it. It was a joy for me. And uh, I got a telephone call from Dave Stevens. Now, I was on the board that picked Dave Stevens. But little did I know he would come after me this way. Well, can I just interject here, Sam? We have blamed Dave Stevens for a lot of things, and this is another good place to start. So Dave gave you a call, and what happened? Well, Dave gave me a call, and he said, you know, Gene and I have been in prayer to get a start on our international uh, mission teams, short term. And he said, every time we go to prayer about it, your name comes to our mind. And I said, you're, you're not putting the pressure on me, are we? <laughs> and uh, Dave said, I did tell the board about it, and they laughed because they said, this guy is so involved in his community, there is no way he's coming. Hmm. Well, when we got the word, and I said, and Dave agreed, and he said, we want the person of the Lord's choosing to come, and we want you to be in prayer about it, and we will too. 
And I thought that was a great place to start. There's no other place to start. You know, when you want to be obedient and you want to be faithful. It wasn't Dorothy's great idea to do this as a director of her crisis pregnancy center for the past five years. And I was not going to tell her, hey, you have to come with me because this is what I'm doing. Because he, many years ago, made us one flesh. And if he was calling me, he was calling her. But the Lord had to lay that on her heart. And I said, Lord, I I just want to be sure that this is your will. Okay. And as we prayed, we picked out the biblical verse, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And so I was trusting that the Lord would do just that. And as we prayed, I said, uh, I was so thankful to, to see here, Dorothy, say, I can get another director. I, need, I think we need to step forward in faith, and we need to allow the Lord to take over and guide this entire thing. So he gave so, you both the peace and the green light to proceed. It was, it was great. Yeah. Uh, what year was that when Dave called you? Do you remember the month and the year? I don't remember that exactly, but I think it was around sometime in uh, probably 96 or 97, the end of 96 or 97 maybe. Because then you had to look at selling a practice and a house and move to Bristol, Tennessee, Well, correct? the Lord had already had me set the practice up right. I was the senior person, and that was just a matter of, working things out that we already had. So that was great. I mean, no problem. But, uh, yes, there was selling the house. And and I got advice from others, you know, don't sell your house. Don't commit too much. Don't, you know. And, boy, it's pretty hard to stand with one foot on the dock and one in the boat and not get wet. (laughs) So, you know, my my idea is, you know, it's all or nothing. If I go, whatever it takes, I know that I can trust the Lord for that. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah. So you all did sell. You did move. You came we here did, in 1998. Actually, we had 30 acres around our our house, and uh, we sold that without putting it up to be sold. And for twice the value, you know, somebody came to us and said, hey, we've loved that 30 acres. We hear that you're going, and we'll offer you this much. And I said, wow, the Lord really wants us out there. (laughs) (laughs) So you moved here in 98. What was it like getting started? I know you had pretty much an empty desk and an empty office and uh, nothing but the future ahead and what? Well, we we wanted a secretary. And Dave Stevens said to me, I want you to have someone like I have. I want you to have a gene to work with. And I think you know the rest of the story because you're sitting right across from me and what a great time we've had and what a great blessing you, Ron, have been to me. Just want you to know that. Well, it's been a joy for me. And, you know, I was in the office next to you. Uh, you said, look at, the, look at your office, look at the files. 
I think you kind of said figure it out. And then next thing I know, we were going to Guatemala on my first trip. And then you said, now you're ready. Take a team to Ecuador in November. And then in December, I went on a team and Don Thompson was on that team and his wife, Miriam. But I kept wondering, what were you doing over there in the office all that time besides making policies, procedures, <laughs> finding national partners, policy books? I mean, I had no idea what you were doing over there, but you were doing a lot of stuff, Sam. Well, we, we were very, very blessed. You know, that having the Global Health Outreach Advisory Board, my heart was always that we needed to be a universal uh, reception center for those of like heart, like mind, who needed the physical therapy, the nurse, uh, the nurses, the, you know, the uh, physician assistants, the so forth. So we'd bring them into a group, a cohesive group. We'd be part of the outreach because many of the organizations were too small to organize that way. And we needed them on our teams. Well, you were so, always very futuristic and looking down the road. This, of course, was before CMDA umbrella those different christian entities like uh, christian pharmacy fellowship international and yet you were bringing them on board we became early their official international mission group of choice and uh, as you said you engaged nurse practitioners and physicians assistant again long before these people were officially part of the cmda family but what else uh, were some of the big challenges you had I, I think we need to know that the Lord equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. And I, I really believe that the Lord gave me wisdom. He gave me a partner in ministry unsurpassed, a prayer partner, a friend, a brother. And he just continued to add as we could to our staff. But I remember we had to have volunteers. And I asked Gene, I said, do we have any, uh, a volunteer coordinator? He said, no. I said, Dorothy, I think we have one now. So she went and interviewed people. I didn't want the minimal staff that I had to do mom and pop store kind of things. I wanted us to become organized and get volunteers to do because we had no money you start with a zero budget we had no teams yeah where are we going and so you know well, it was just and we've a, had a lot of experience with volunteers yes and, and that became a other. model for other departments in cmda to use volunteers and to this day uh, many of our departments continue to be blessed by volunteer help yeah. can you think of uh one of the most challenging things you had on your teams, and I'm going to bait you here on one, uh, tell us what happened when we were going to take a uh, team to Tibet, and uh, there were some obstacles along the way and how God intervened in that. We were planning an open-heart team in Tibet. We had made all the arrangements, and we had the organization that was uh, we were going with say that, look, if anything happened, we have connections with the ambassador and with the others in the, in the country of Tibet that are willing to come to bring pressure as needed to see you accomplish all that you have to do. Well, we brought about 50 boxes 
of things, swan dance catheters and surgical equipment and rib spreaders and anesthesia supplies and medications. And I mean, we were loaded. And when we got there in Beijing, they confiscated every bit of our equipment. And they said, it's not coming out. So we called our ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to China, and I asked, what can we do? And he said, well, we might be able to pull some strings, but this is a really critical kind of thing. I don't think that it's going to sort of work. It didn't. And uh, we here we had all this equipment and supplies. I'm talking, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment and supplies there. I sent the rest of the team on with a, an assistant team leader to do prayer walks and to help our national partners and to help establish the relationship that we needed there. And I stayed there to try and work out the details of trying to get our equipment and supplies out. Which, so they went to Tibet, they came back to Beijing, and now you're all coming back to the States, and what happened? They told us, you can't take those e equipment. They now belong with us, and besides that, if we were to take them, which is unlikely that we're going to let that happen, uh, it's going to cost you because we've held it in storage. But we've you had a simple solution. So I told them, look, that stuff belongs to us. Put it out on the flight deck. Give me some kerosene or, or uh, gasoline. I'm going to burn it all up. It belongs to me. And they said, you can't do that. And I said to them, our ambassador thinks I can. And they said what? Get your equipment and get out of here. <laughs> and so wraps up another chapter in GHO. Well, that's a good segue to Dr. Don Thompson because uh, he, you have spent some time chasing Uncle Sam around the globe as a uh, colonel in, in the United States Air Force as a family doctor. How did you first get started in CMDA and then GHO? Well, I, uh, I got my start in CMDA in medical school. I was, uh, I was in the charter membership of, of uh, I believe it was when the chapter was formed at the Uniformed Services University where I went to medical school back in, oh, when the Earth's crust was still cooling in 83 or 84 or so. But then, but um, I got my call to medical missions back in 10th grade when I went to Urbana 73. And if you recall, that was a huge uprising of people responding to InterVarsity's call to missions around the world. And InterVarsity was overwhelmed by so such a great response. They they said, what are, what are we going to do with all these folks? And, or how are we going to equip them and train them? And out of that came the perspectives course and many other things that have really been institutionalized now. What year was that again that you went to the Urbana in 19 when? In 1973. I was in 10th grade. They won't allow 10th graders to go anymore. I well, think I might have caused some problems. It's interesting how small the CMB NBA family is because in 1970, Dr. Dave Stevens, who was there then a mere sophomore in college, and one of his classmates, Becky Barnett, and one of his childhood friends, Ron Brown, got in the car and went to Urbana in 1970. And uh, here we are, you know, 50 some years later, or 50 years later, 
and uh, it all come around again. So Urbana had an impact on you. What else? It had a tremendous impact on me. It is indeed a small world. God, uh, um, well, the story would be long and tedious for me to describe a lot of other years, but I started going, my first, um, my first short-term trip was, was to um, Albania with the Albania Health Project, which was an umbrella organization. It was when I was stationed in Italy, in Aviano Air Base, Italy, and in 1993, I believe, and it was uh, CMDS at the time, and CMDS of Canada and a couple other organizations were going, and, and I, I went, to, while I was still on active duty in the Air Force Station in Italy, just took a, a ferry down to Albania and had a great time doing a primary care survey, laying the groundwork for future work that was going to be done, and then came back to the States and had several other assignments, and um started uh actually started seminary in 1996 but in 1999 i went i think it was my first gho trip uh, my wife and i went to honduras and uh, uh it was the first week in december there was some guy on the trip named ron brown who i had never met before and, and this is also dealing with a community that had been wiped out by hurricane mitch as i recall it was it was by mitch i had a couple of my my buddy is with me, an active duty Air Force family medicine doc, uh, a former Army um, family medicine doc. I believe you uh, were ruined on that trip uh, about um, what your, how your military protects you, but we continue to protect you well. Yes. I, I, I didn't remember there was such trash talking that went on between the branches of the military. And then what was worse was the trash talking that went on between the different medical specialties. I thought I had signed up with Christian Medical and Dental Society back at the time, and these guys were experts at trash talking, and you made it clear to me that, no, this is how we fellowship. It's a sign of love for each other between the services, between the specialties. There's no question about that. But the, uh, the greatest part was what I recall the most was uh, on the way out, of the uh, airport, we were in Tegucigalpa, and we were waiting for our plane, and some guy got off the plane to come into Honduras to do a site survey, and it was some guy named Sam Melend. And he had, I had never met him, and he had never met me, so we met there, and, and he said, so uh, tell me about yourself, or something like this. My memory fails me, so, but that's never stopped, <laughs> gotten in the way of a good story. No, we make this up as we go. Keep going, so, you're doing so, fine. Sam says, so what are you going to do? And, and I said, I think I want your job someday. And Sam said, all you need to do is to get a navy blue blazer because everywhere you go, you'll be asked to preach. And I did. The next week, I ordered a navy blue blazer. And then 10 years later, you used it. nine years later, <laughs> yeah. I got a phone call from Dave Stevens. Actually, from a secretary who said, Dr. Stevens was like, would like to talk to you. I was in a skiff in the Pentagon um, where we can't talk about a lot of things. And she set up a time for me to talk. And so I called Dave that night when I got home. And Dave used his dirty trick of, so, Don, how was your commute today? And I said, it was an hour and 45 minutes each way, Dave. How long was your commute today? He said, oh, it was about four minutes. Sometimes it's five or six when I stop to watch the deer and the chipmunks. And I said, that's a low blow. <laughs> and he said, uh, we'd like you to come down and talk because Sam has been dropping your name 
and um, you need to bring your wife along. And so I did, and my wife and I came down. My wife Miriam came down the next month, and in that preceding month, I read the only book by Os Guinness that I can understand is The Call, and um, we met and chatted and chatted and chatted, and on the way home, it was clear Miriam and I just looked at each other. It wasn't a matter of yes or no. It was just, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. So it was very clear that God had called us to the next step. There was a minor delay, I believe. I had already committed to myself to one more job in the Air Force, and then, a, and then about a year after that. So Sam graciously stayed on for a few more years, I believe. But then I came down in, uh, I think, July of 2010. So um, Let me I interject right here. It was July of 2010. I remember it clearly because I had chapel at CMDA that morning, and we had two new staff who had joined CMDA, and one was the new director of GHO, Dr. Don Thompson. And so when he came in, I said, I would like to introduce uh, both of you, and we'd like to have a time of prayer. And by the way, what are you wearing? And you said? I said I am wearing a blue blazer that I bought 10 years ago. <laughs> and you were stepping in that day as your first day as director of GHO in 2010. As many people have said, you really can't make this stuff up, can you? Sam, Sam has got haberdasher advice that you could not imagine. <laughs> we'll need to define that for some of the people that don't have an MD after their name. But So what was it like uh, taking the baton from Sam and taking it to the next stage and level for GHO? Well, I describe it as standing on the, head of a, on the shoulders of a giant. People kept talking about filling the shoes of Sam Maland. And I said, no, 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 there's no question. There's no likelihood whatsoever of filling Sam's shoes. I'm just taking over as director of GHO, but that's not, it's not, uh, I'm not trying to, to uh, mimic or channel Sam. Sam had done a wonderful job in, in getting things going. I'm an innovator and a change agent by nature, and um, Sam had done that on steroids with everything he, he got going by uh, sheer um, wit and energy and Tact and diplomacy and force and Dorothy and lots of lots of ways. So, mm. so and Ron um, Brown and Ron and Ron, yes, uh, Ron. It was the, a joy to serve the, both of you. So, what were some of those changes? Ron was good to calm me down. <laughs> yes, he did tell me a few things about that. So, so no, I think I think what I what I did was I came in and looked and said, okay, we've the the environment is changing. The environment had changed from 1998 to 2010 as far as what was required when you went overseas. The requirements for entry into every country had grown from us taking leftover stuff to do what we could to being certified and credentialed and authorized by the health authorities in every country to come in and bring, for instance, pharmaceuticals that are all brand new. They had to have, not only brand new, but they had to have a year left on their expiration date, which was unheard of, um, because before then, you'd put out a box at church and collect leftover glasses and pills and things, and and that was no longer was no longer possible. Yeah, the World Health Organization put that out a long time before it mm -hmm. was really enforced. Right, and, and they just started to enforce it, and they're still changing. So right. it's a changing profile for Trish as well today. I mean, you, we, we enter places that we haven't entered before and know the complications there, 
but places we've entered for years are changing by the day almost. That is absolutely true. And and well should they because yes. the, the great thing about this is more and more countries are taking – are, are honoring their role as being leaders. The, the government authorities are honoring their, their goal, their commitment to leading and caring for their people. And that requires um, reducing corruption, reducing fraud, reducing waste. And that means people who come in, if you say you're a doctor, you need to be a doctor. If you say you're a pharmacist, you need to be a pharmacist. If you say you're going to hand out medicines for something, the medicines have to be quality medicines. And so I applaud the countries for doing that. Now, the challenge was we had to figure out what those were because they vary by country as they should. Every country is sovereign. We wouldn't let something in our country whether it's a professional or a medication, without it being certified through the regulatory authorities. So we, we learned to do that. It took a lot of work, and um, we, we started to make a lot of use out of Excel and spreadsheets because we had to know all the countries in which we went. I think it was somewhere between 25, probably 40 to 50 different countries over the whole of uh, the time that GHO has been in existence. And we had a precious sheet that, that showed the credentialing requirements for professionals, that showed the pharmacy requirements, how far in advance documents had to go in, to whom did they have to be certified by someone at this end, did they have to be certified by our State Department, did they have to be certified by the Ministry of Health. And I give the praise to the outstanding Global Health Outreach Office staff for figuring, not only figuring that out on one day, but figuring it out for every team because the rules seemed to change. And we'd often learn about it. We wanted to learn about it at least two weeks before the team arrived. Sometimes right. it wasn't until the team arrived. But to uh, give credence to that, it's interesting. <coughs> uh, you were part of the transition when our national director in Nicaragua, Rolando Castillo, uh, came to lead that charge down there, and we were sending 10 teams a year. Um, but he used to go to Customs and Immigration and to the Ministry of Health, and they would do orientations for other groups bringing their teams to Nicaragua. And they would say, now this is how you need to present your material. And it would be on GHO letterhead because Rolando had taken the guidance and instructions and had uh, perfected them, and they used GHO as a standard in Nicaragua for how other teams were to present uh, getting their credentials and things approved. So that was that, a great testimony to God's driving us to be best practice and, and have a testimony for the Lord. That is high praise yeah. indeed. Because and many of the teams would enter without follow-up with people doing things that were not part of their training that would... Uh, bringing medications, outdated, and so forth. So the countries felt, as as Don says, we've got to do something. We don't want those teams to to be here. Right. They're 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 causing difficulty with our people, and so that's great. I mean, that's the way it needs to be. So that task was was probably one of the biggest because the staff would be here till ten o'clock at night on a Thursday night when the team was going to fly out on Friday or Friday night when the team was going to fly out till Saturday because of those emergencies mm -hmm. that that popped up. And um, we became just a bit more proactive on that. 
and put some put some uh, requirements in place, some policy changes in place, and we stopped taking donations, which was hard. We met the requirements that the countries had, which raised the cost of everything. But after a few years, I, I said, we've arrived, because I would walk by, and Brenda would be over there typing slowly on a spreadsheet and retyping letters. And I'd say, what's going on? And she'd say, we just learned that so-and-so needs this additional certification on every one of the 40 people. And I said, oh. And she said, I expected it. I've got time to do it. So the emergencies had become expected routines on a day or two before the team came. The staff were so good at anticipating everything that had to go on that this was part of their routine. I'd like to say everybody got out here at 6 p.m., but that never happened. I did have to fire several staff on Thursday at 6 p.m. I told them I'd rehire them on Monday, and their benefits would continue over the weekend. Um, that I hear that still isn't working, that some staff are working a little past 6 p.m. Yeah, well, but, we have been blessed over these 20-some years with extremely dedicated staff that have been mm-hmm. here, some of them uh, over 20, almost 25 years at CMDA. So what would be the last thing you would describe as – Maybe the biggest challenge or biggest reward of your time as GHO director? Well, the biggest, uh, the biggest reward I, I just heard um, really reaffirmed at our, our most recent team leaders training conference. It was very clear from the, my first day here, from before I started here, Sam made it very clear that the team leaders are GHO. We're here to support the team leaders. The team leaders need to understand a lot of this trivia, but they need to understand just enough of the administrivia to make the team work. There's a lot of stuff that we can handle inside Global Health Outreach Office that they shouldn't even be thinking. They need to know it exists, but they shouldn't even have to worry about it. And so that meant, as, as Sam had taught me, we really needed to invest in our team leaders. Mm. And we did. We worked on every year on on improving the team leaders training conference. It's continued to improve in in uh, the last few years since I left. And bringing team leaders in, there are saints of medicine, dentistry, of pastoring, of real estate, of all kinds of things in that room. Whenever there's team leader training conference, and I am humbled. At the Giants, I would get a phone call from so-and-so, and I would just close the door and put everything else on hold because I knew I was going to be on the phone for two hours. And I would learn more in that two hours from interacting with a team leader than I would in a month or two months or six months of practicing medicine or going on teams. And so my primary investment for all of GHO was in our team leaders. They are the tip of the spear. We focused on training team leaders. We focused on mentoring team leaders, on discipling team leaders. There were some things that um, our team leaders are really, really, really good at, and we could help them with that. One of those was site surveys, visiting new sites. And when our team leader, the team leaders, frankly, in my experience, were the main source of new teams. We had lots of requests for teams, maybe two or three a week, I think. And um, the ones that we paid a lot of attention to were the ideas, the countries, the sites, the national partners, 
that were floated by our existing team leaders, especially the ones that were, well, that we had kind of dubbed um, able to sign off new team leaders. That's a very serious role in growing a new team leader. And um, I am just overwhelmed at the generational improvement. And just, I mean, in the three years since I've been gone, two years since I've been gone, and the seven years I was here, I'm hearing of grandchildren team leaders. And I'm just overwhelmed with that. Well, that's a perfect segue to Dr. Trish Burgess, who then took the baton uh, in March of last year. And uh, you have benefited and been blessed by this cadre of team leaders, men, women, uh, as Don said, in various fields beyond the health field uh, professionals. Uh, so tell us, Trish, how it is you came to GHO and what have been your biggest challenge and joy since you've been here? Well, early in my career, I was a CMDA member and had wanted to travel and do missions. But um, the Lord was clear at first, my mission field was home, you know, with my family. And so I waited for my children to get older until the Lord told me, okay, now you can go. Um, and I had started on my first trip um, with a lump in my throat because I had never done any mission work before. Um, so I'm not the typical um, director in that I don't have this years of experience and been a missionary for years. Um, but over those years of going on teams, I went on different leaders, different places. I got to work with Sam um, and be mentored by him and learn from him. I worked with Don. Um, so I knew both of them, had worked with them, had learned a lot from them. Um, and then eventually, you know, became a team leader. Um, and coming to the team leader trainings, Don's talked about, learned so much, um, but mostly just, um, you know, encouraging and supporting each other and how we really are this family of GHOers, you know, we call ourselves. And, and so it wasn't strange to me, but there was no idea that being director of GHO would be something on my horizon <laughs> those years ago. I found it interesting. I was uh, in that recent team leader training working with our, our new prospects. And uh, one of the uh, bullet points that we had there was something that you coined a few years ago when Don had you speak uh, as one of the presenters at Team Leader Training. And you were reminding your team in orientation that even though we go to different cultures and languages, there's one language that we don't speak, and that's called Huynese. <laughs> and I had that up on the PowerPoint presentation and everybody started chuckling. And I thought how that has come full circle. And actually, that your presentation drew attention to Don and myself. Like, this person is on a, on a really fast track. She's hungry for the Lord. She's hungry for missions. She's hungry for the Word. And uh, so how was it that that happened that brought you then to the directorship? I remember getting the email that Don sent out that he was resigning as director and replying, wow, you know, I'll be missing seeing you there, but I'm sure the Lord's going to use you wherever you're at. Never thought another thing about it until I got an email, because nowadays we get phone calls, we get emails, and um, and it was from Ron Brown asking me to consider myself for that position, along with a handful of other people. I was just floored by that and did the appropriate uh, Christian response and said, I'm humbled by that and I'll pray about it. <laughs> and um, with really no intention, because I honestly thought you weren't actually serious and that I was just, you know, one of those in that handful, but you had 
the one you wanted until two weeks later, I got another email from you saying, so where are you at and praying about this? And I was like, oh, he's really serious about this. And so my instructions were to write out my testimony and send it to Dave Stevens. So he gets blamed again Yes. for this. And actually, the phone call I finally got was not from Dave. I got Gene Rudd. So I got to talk with Gene Rudd just about where I was at in my career. And I was at that point, 23 years in the ER, which was long enough that I was starting to think about what was next, but not ready, not burnout, out, not ready to go yet. So I came up and met everybody, had lunch with the GHO staff. And the one thing I remember about that was you asking everyone to go around the table and just share a little bit like what they thought I would be doing as director of GHO. And we got to the great administrative assistant for GHO, Alicia Trivett, who said, miracle worker. And I said, oh, is that all? I can do that. No problem. (laughs) And so, um, you know, the next day I drove home. And by the time I got home, David offered me the position, which for me was a dream job. Like I couldn't believe it. I was so excited about it. And it would have been a no brainer if it wasn't for my home and, and like Sam, my spouse. So my husband, Scott, was right at the pinnacle of his career. And this involved moving, and I just prayed. I said, Lord, I cannot ask him. He had to move because we got married before med school, so he had to move when I started medical school. And then you get matched wherever you are for your residency, so we had to move again, and we didn't have much notice on that. Um, And so, Lord, I was like, I cannot ask him to move again for me. So I told him I'd been offered the position. We didn't talk about it a whole lot. We talked a little bit here and there about it over the next couple weeks, and I was just praying, and he was praying. And so finally, one Sunday morning, we were getting ready for church, and he said, you know, Trish, it's just a job. We'd be moving for ministry. So when he opened that door to allow me to accept it, it was that afternoon I emailed Dave Stevens and said, okay, I'm in. And God further confirmed that by doing something for Scott in his uh, career. What happened there? He did. So my job, I had to give a six-month notice um, because it's hard to replace doctors in the ER quickly. And um, so he started looking for work, and he got work right away. So he actually moved before I did and was commuting back and forth to help work on the house so he could get it ready to sell. But he got an engineering job here, which is his love Um, Where we were at, he was in administration in the school system and not his love. He was good at it, but he didn't enjoy it as much as just straightforward engineering. So he's doing what he loves again. It's less stressful, um, and he's enjoying it. And um, so he really blessed him for that willingness to give up that for me. Isn't that just like God, Mm, that he gives us the desires of our heart as they're in tune with his? And so what have been uh, the vision God's given you as you've started uh, in this new role of GHO director? Well, I can say that there was such a strong foundation by Sam. I mean, GHO was rock solid. And then Don's work to standardize and make SOPs and protocols, the GHO staff was a well-oiled machine when I got here. Mm. You know, I learned very quickly they knew what they were doing and they were teaching me. So I really have the chance and the opportunity for the vision of how can we make it better? Not just how can we get in the countries and how, what do we need to do, but how can we make it better? And one of the things I wanted to focus on was how can we improve the long-term impact of a short-term mission? 
So looking at that, um, a lot of it we're doing now. And when you look at WHO recommendations, it's standardizing a lot of things. So we've been adding a lot more patient safety and focusing on that with our providers. But we're also focusing on public health training instead of trying to teach them ourselves. But leaving people in the countries and the places we go who know the basics of first aid and, and public health so that they can continue to teach and train long after we're gone. So those areas don't have to wait for the next GHO team to come, which can be a year or more in some countries. And so if there's a cholera outbreak, you know, six months after we're gone, they wouldn't know what to do. But now with someone there to train and help educate and teach parents, they can have a a better survivability of those things. So that's one thing we're doing to improve the long-term impact and really continue to educate, like Don said, our, our team leaders. And we're focusing more and more on discipleship and how can we do that better? And we're doing more pastor training and educating in women's ministries. So we're extending what we're doing beyond the clinic, I think, a lot more than we've been able to. Um, so there's a lot of areas we can improve in. We're increasing teams to 1040 windows. One of the first things I had to deal with, and you and I together dealt with that, was a Nicaragua crisis in 2017 or 18 when we had to cancel eight of our 10 teams. That had been kind of the bread and butter of GHO missions for years. It was a good starting ground for our leaders and for people that wanted to try missions. So looking at that and praying about that and um, dealing with that, when we looked at where God was leading us, when he closed all those doors, he opened doors around the world, particularly in the Muslim community um, and unreached areas. So he's really opened doors. As soon as he closes one, another one opens. And it's just been like being on the front row seat to watching God at work around the world instead of the nosebleed section that people can hear about it and they still get to hear the good stories. But being right on the front row has been amazing. Well, I think it well wraps up uh, this dialogue. Don, you have one other thing to add to it? I wanted to give kudos to the last area that Trish talked about because Sam worked hard on working with national partners on starting pastor training conferences in certain areas. And then I peeled away a few more layers on that onion and we developed a process where we would go in and really assess the requirements that a team needed to go into a country, whether it was in the Americas or Africa or Asia, not only the logistics of minor things like where we'd stay and and food and, and safety and minor things like that, but <laughs> but um, but customs and safety, but real and credentialing, but then really looking at the the long term impact on the spiritual side. I heard someone say once that the whole point of doing short-term missions is to change the people on the team. Well, there's no question that that happens. However, my God is significantly larger than that. And my God can have a tremendous impact on long-term impact in the team, in the country, on both the medical status. Dentists do that all the time. Surgeons do that all the time. I'm a family practice doc. I don't always see a whole lot of long-term impact from my primary care. However, the spillover effect of being able to have a spiritual impact on working with the, for instance, the pastors and the churches that are involved in the team 
on cajoling and encouraging evangelism and working together of different churches in different countries, depending on what the setting is and what's, what's appropriate to do in those countries, has just absolutely been huge. At our last team leaders training, we heard about the impact of surgical missions. I will admit, when I came on, Sam's a surgeon. I'm just a lowly family practice doc. <laughs> Surgery is too complicated for me because all of that equipment you have to take in, and I don't know what it needs, what needs to go. I was really concerned about follow-up. And then six months after I got here, then Dr. Barry Sorrells walks in, and he does orthopedic surgery work in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And we, we had a presentation at the last team leaders training on how that has evolved. There is a huge spiritual impact. They're not only doing surgical surgery, but they're doing surgical training of the Honduran orthopedic staff and residents, the orthopedists and the residents. So long-term impact and capacity building, and then huge impact in the in the uh, team members. That's a big God. I know that there are more opportunities for doing that. And Trish, I know you're running with that ball and uh, kudos. We did have, uh, even this last year, another surgical opportunity open with our Oasis National Partners in the Dominican Republic. So yes, uh, surgical is still a part of us. And and we were really overwhelmed uh, hearing that presentation on the impact of the last years of the orthopedic teams going to Honduras. So again, we've seen God weaving his way through uh, CMBA and GHO and having the three directors here today has been a privilege. And above all, I know Sam's heart, Don's heart, and Trish has come to reinforce it. It's all about giving God the honor, the glory, the praise. He alone is worthy. And uh, we just get to partner with him. What a, a joyful thing that's been for us. So thank you guys for taking the time. And we trust this a blessing to those who hear the story today of J.H.O. As exciting as it's been to hear the history of the last 20 years of global health outreach, we are also just as excited about our future and the upcoming teams, trips, and years that lie ahead. We, like everyone else, though, have been reeling for the impact of COVID-19 and the impact this worldwide pandemic has had on all of us, literally on the planet, and certainly has affected us here at GHO. In fact, we've had to cancel eight GHO teams just in the last days and weeks. But that said, we know God has us in the palm of his hand. He has GHO equally there, and we're excited about the trips that will be coming. We know the Lord is going to bring a transition and a change, and we look forward to being able to minister to patients around the globe. So please check out our website at cmda.org GHO, and keep up to date on the upcoming teams. And we trust uh, the Lord will lead you to be a part of that as we uh, commit to serving the least, the lost, and the last. So until then, and our next time we connect on our GHO podcast, may God bless you. And remember, let's go, GHO.
This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.